the amazing Pastor Spider-Man is on. Glad to see you guys. Good morning. Uh, thank you. Uh, there's amazing, astounding. There's all sorts of weird adjectives. I don't know if they're doing that on purpose, getting weirder in the intro of like what's about to happen, but we'll see next week, right? We're going to start with some shouts. Uh, what do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. Hello and blessing to each of you this morning. Uh, it's test time. I promised last week you were all taking a test today, and so here it is. Uh, the memory verse that you promised uh, by uh, virtue of not raising your hand uh, is uh, we're going to do that memory verse together right now as promised. Now, um, for those that didn't memorize it, I'm going to put it on the screen so we can go over that together. Ready? Here it goes. It's uh, 1 Peter. We're going to say this together because you memorized it. Remember? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, fantastic. My family is so sick of me trying to say that verse in the car at the meals. You know, because it takes longer to memorize when you get older. I've been practicing hours just to be able to do it. And I had to do it on stage. So I was like, what if I mess them up? So blessings to you guys who uh, have memorized that. If you could pull that up really fast. Uh, if you're thinking about that and you've memorized that verse, that was written in the second, uh, second person with you. But as you're uh, reciting it over yourself, I'd like you to maybe think about changing it to a personal pronoun. But I am a chosen person. I'm part of the royal priesthood. I belong to a holy nation. I am God's special possession. I've received mercy. I now belong to him. So it was written in second person for all of us to receive as first person. And so I hope that you walk in this reality. This is part of our redefined series where, we're, where God last week was talking about redefining our position and our place on this planet. This was one of the key verses. Before that, we saw God was redefining how we interact with struggles and, and how, we, um, how we view our internal self. And this week, we're going to be looking at how God redefines our relationships with people that are on this planet. How, how do I coexist with the others that are around me? How does knowing Jesus change how I interact in, in a macro level, in a big level, sort of like on the planet, interacting with, we're going to see, with the government and like that kind of thing, but also on the most intimate level. How does knowing Jesus change my interaction with my spouse? That's the closest relationship on the planet. And we're going to see that this morning, and we're looking in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Here's what Peter says. He says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. This is a wild verse. And if you've been to church, you've heard it a bunch of times, and you sort of gloss over it. But it's wild because of the environment in which this verse was written. At this point in Peter's life, when he's writing to the Christians, it is illegal to be a Christian in the, in the Roman world. You cannot convert to Christianity. 
It's against the law. And if you do, the, the punishment for even not only converting, the punishment to just say, like, if you said out loud in public, I'm a Christian, the punishment was death. Like, literally, like, beheading or being put to the sword or sometimes they would just light them on fire or getting crucified, getting hanged. That's the government he's talking about. Now reread it. Submit yourself to a government that will kill you if you say you're a Christian. That is a radical redefinition of how I should navigate my life, right? It's not about me, my life, my well-being, nothing. It's about submitting to them for the purpose of, if you can see it right here at the end, what's the reason to do any of that? To honor God, we see it in the first part, but to put an end to foolish talk so that by doing good, you can point people to God. And that's what we're going to see over and over and over in all of the relationships that we have. That's going to be our point today. The reason we submit to people, the reason we, we don't exercise our rights, our freedom, ourselves all the time is so that we can point to God in every relationship because pointing to God is more important than disobeying the government, fight the power, doing something like that. The government and the emperor and the governors, they're absolutely against Christians at this time, and they're going to be against Christians for the next 300 years. That's longer than the existence of America as a nation. So it's not like God's going to change it in a, in a minute, <laughs> in like a, a couple of years. That, that's all they have to Their ancestors, their kids, their kids' kids, their kids' kids for generations have to be under this place that tells them Christianity is illegal and it's punishable by death. Christians are commanded to submit and follow even misguided and antagonistic governments. But why? For it is God's will that by doing good, you can silence the ignorant talk of those who are talking foolish. Not silence them or cancel them, but refute their ignorant talk. Things that might say, where the government would say something like, Christians are dangerous. Well, if you've lived such a good life and, and you, you, you have willingly submitted yourself to the government, you're not dangerous. Christians cause strife. Christians are full of hate and Christians need to be monitored. Now, we hear some of this kind of talk right even now in our country. Now, we're a pretty free country in the world. We have a fairly neutral government. They're not out killing Christians. And the Bible tells us to submit to the government. Do you know what's more important than overthrowing an oppressive government? Pointing people to Jesus. That's more important to the government. And so God says, get it right. Sometimes we think like, oh, it's all about my rights, my freedom, my this, my this. He says, no. How about if it's not? How about if the person in the government is more important than your rights and freedoms. Like, that sounds crazy in America because we're all about rights and freedoms, right? 100%. That's a founding principle, that sort of stuff. Awesome. You know what a founding principle of Christianity is? That you care more about the person than you care your own self, life, and rights. If I submit myself to the government, maybe I have to do some things I'm uncomfortable with. Now, this is not telling you to go kill people. So, you go, what about the Nazis? Always, someone says, Nazis right away, always Nazis, right? So God's law says don't hurt, harm, murder anyone. And so if the government tells you to hurt, harm, or kill someone else, you say, I'm not able to do that. 
what's my punishment? I will submit. I'm not going to fight. The, I'm not going to try to overthrow the government. I'm not trying to do this kind of stuff. Now, this sounds radical nowadays because, like, nowadays it's, it's all about fighting for my rights and my freedom and, and my equality and my this and my that. But that's not quite how God sees relationships. God says, you know what's most important? Them coming to Christ, not you having your rights, not you having even your freedoms, not you, you having a good life. Those things, remember we learned last week that, that we are foreigners here. This is our temporary place. This isn't our home. And yet we act like this is the most important thing. I don't care if the government's communist or democrat or somewhere in between, socialist, theocracy, it doesn't much matter because I'm following a different law and I'm just visiting this place. And so we submit ourselves to the authority. God wants your redefined goodness to be a beacon to even a wicked government that these folks were under. Here's what he said in the next verse. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as cover-up for evil. Live as God's slave. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. In relationships, you are free to live rightly for Jesus. He says, live free, but live good. Show respect to everyone. We're going to hear this verse. There's a two verses, uh, words we're going to hear throughout today. Submit and respect. He says, show respect to everyone. Not just the people who deserve it. Not the people who earn it. Not the people who are close to you. Show respect to everyone. Though... You're free. Use that freedom to subordinate yourself on purpose so that you can point people to God, so that they will see something is different about Christians and those who follow Christ. Honor the emperor. He says, honor the emperor. And this is parentheses, the emperor who wants you dead for being a Christian. And the Bible says to honor that person. Now, that, that's a radical redefinition of relationships. No, we all get it, that, that it's easy to love people who love us and, and uh, 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 have them love us, whatever Tim Keller said in that like, small group thing, right? Like, love us, who's easy, that's loving us to love others that love us. That the loving us and loving them if they love us is easy. Um, but loving enemies, loving oppressors, that's different. That, that's the difference maker. The early church grew exponentially even though the government was clamping down on them because after row after row of Christians was getting arrested and they were being sent to their death and they didn't curse, they didn't rebel, they didn't fight, they didn't try to kill. They said, if that's what the government's asking me to do, I'll go get killed and I'll pray for you and I love you. And the person that was taking them away, some soldier guy, right? He didn't make the law, but as he's taking them away, this person's like, I'm praying for you, I love you, I care for you. Oh, that guy's like, what? People are watching. Because people are always watching. Maybe something like that happens to you in your work, and, and people are watching. I guarantee you, people are always watching. And they start to notice, they're like, wow, something is different about those Christians. They do not navigate on this planet the same way everyone else does. And I hope that's true in our lives, that we are not navigating on this planet in relationships with others, in relationship even to the government, the same way other people are. Because if we are, then we can't shine a light. If we are, then we're no longer salt. If we are just acting like everyone else, then we are of the world. We are in the world. We are not separated. Then that has just become our home. This is a radical redefinition of what it means to live in relationship to human beings on the planet and governments. Jesus tells us 
to do two things. He tells love the brothers, love and respect the family of God, and love and respect the enemies of God, so that the family is encouraged by the love of Jesus in you, and the enemies are shown the love of Jesus through you. He says, let me give you another example. The next section of verses. Slaves, they had slaves at this time. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to the masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But now, is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps because he committed no sin. There's no deceit found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to our sins and then we could live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So thank God that that this relational redefinition isn't necessary uh, in our particular context. I thank God that slavery has been abolished and has uh, before my lifetime in this country. I'm so thankful for that. Now, I understand there's still illegal underground enslavement of many people on this planet, but for our church, it's not a particular issue between slave and master. But But I think the point is still salient. Notice why the first century slaves were commanded to submit. For the exact same reason as the general population was commanded to submit to the government because it points people to God. Do you know what's more important than overthrowing an oppressive, horrific system of slavery? Pointing people to God. Just like, remember, what's more important than overthrowing a government? Pointing people to God. Do you know what's more important than overthrowing a a slave system? Pointing people to God. Our redefined relational interactions point people to God. We see clearly in how Jesus acted and responded towards hostile and and oppressive people. The the principle of returning blessing for insults is for all people, not just slaves, because Jesus did it and he wasn't a slave. He gave us the example. Now, now Peter's using the example, for example, in slavery, point that person to God even in an oppressive slave relationship, because Jesus did that. Jesus loved, cared for, even died for the prickly, the unlovable, the cantankerous, the enemies, those that were spitting on him, whipping, cursing, and ultimately crucifying him. We all know, most of us know the words out of his mouth, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Those that are crucifying him. Jesus had the power to rise up and kill every single one of those persons. But he didn't take his own right He submitted even to death. Why, though? For the benefit of those people to point them to God. Ultimately, for Jesus to provide the way to get to God. But for us, it's the same sort of thing. 
in our relationships with maybe difficult people or people in a power imbalanced relationship that we have. They ought to be just like Jesus, and we ought to love no matter the position or the disposition of the other person because it points people to God. See, in case you don't get it, that, that's the whole thing. It doesn't matter what happens on the planet. Whatever comes to you, eat it, smile at it, and point to God. And the, the greater the, the, the oppression of you, the, the clearer the symbol pointing to God is. Check out our next section. Christians love this part. Wives, oh, love when the pastor says that. In the same way, submit yourselves. Oh, now I'm bo- I wasn't bothered yet. This is the first time submit bothered me, huh? You didn't mind it the two other times, right about right now. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to the <laughs> to your own husbands, so that if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Third time submits used. Do you know what's more important than overthrowing an oppressive patriarchal system? Pointing people to God. It's more important. Do you know what's more important, ladies, than having equality in your rights in your marriage? Pointing your husband to God. That's more important. Submit for the exact same reason as the first two sections. If you think submitting is unacceptable, if you think submitting is demeaning, then you think Jesus is unacceptable and Jesus is demeaned because Jesus submits himself to the Father. Jesus submits himself to the government. He wasn't a slave, so he didn't do that one. However, Remember when he took the towel and he washed his disciples' feet? And he says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you'll be the slave of all, the doulos, the servant of all. Jesus submitted himself to wash his own disciples' feet like a slave would. And we see Jesus submitting himself to the Father in, in all over the New Testament, in Matthew 26 and John 6, John 4, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus submitting himself to the government, to the Father, to his own disciples. Why? Always the same thing, to point people to God. Now, we automatically think submission is bad. But, but Jesus submits, and it's not bad when he does it. It's amazing. What a telling reality about the state of our hearts, especially if this prickled some of you women. Eh, we'll pick on men in a second, but if, if this prickled some of you women wrong, what a telling statement about the status of our hearts that, that we want to control. We want to rule. We want to be in charge. We want it our way. There's pride. Tell me to submit right away, right? No wonder so many people can't submit even to God. That's the natural state sometimes of our hearts. Biblical submit is absolutely not subordination of worth. It is not subordination of value or place or power or influence or anything like that because Jesus didn't. When Jesus submits to the Father, it doesn't make him less than the Father. It doesn't make him less powerful, less important, less God. And so if you thought that submitting made you somehow less, you were wrong. If you thought submitting was bad, then again, you're wrong because Jesus does it.
In other words, act towards your husband, ladies, just like Jesus acts. There's no reason to feel slighted, jilted, or upset. Jesus submits, and he's asking you to submit. He says, while I'm talking to women, I Peter says, I want women to hear another thing. Hear this really quick, women. He says in the next verse, your, your beauty, because you got it, the beauty that you have, it doesn't come from the outward parts of you, the adornment, like your elaborate hairstyles or your gold jewelry or your fine clothes. Rather, your beauty comes from your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, they used to adorn themselves. They, they submitted themselves to their own husband, like Sarah, who obeyed Abram. And they called, uh, she called him our Lord. You are daughters if you do what's right, and that you don't give way to fear. So your beauty, your true beauty is internal godliness. This is God's definition of you. Now the world's definition is seen on magazine covers. It's seen in actress profiles or possibly pornography. So whose view of beauty is right? God's view or the world's view? And if we say God's view, then why do we as believers agree so often with the world on this topic where we somehow exalt a woman's beauty because of the outward feature rather than the internal godliness? I pray for my daughter and my daughter-in-law and my wife that uh, they would hear this truth. That they're beautiful and it isn't from the world's perspective. They're beautiful because of the insides that God made them and the value that he created inside of them. So let's move on and notice the powerful last sentence here about fear. It says, uh, don't give way to fear, women. Because there's fear in submission. What if they don't reciprocate? What if they abuse that gift? What if they take advantage of my godliness? What if I don't get the things I want? What if, what if, what if, what if? Don't give way to fear. Give way to faith. Bottom line here, here's what God says a redefined wife relationship looks like. Submitting to your husband, just like Jesus does to the Father. It's not a diminishing. Live with purity and reverence. Knowing your beauty is measured by your insides, by God's measuring, not the world's. And don't give in to fear. Flips the coin over. Husbands, in the same way, in Greek this is husbands, likewise. Seemingly in reference to the previous idea of submission, actually, and support. So he says, husbands, do likewise, but here's how it looks for you. He said, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And so this says, husband, do the same thing likewise as your, husband do, as your wife does, that submit to point, able, to point to God. And then he tells them specifically how to do that, by being considerate. Considerate is thinking about the feelings and the attitudes and the well-beings of the other person. Husbands, don't get all caught up in what you want to do, your mess, your head, your stuff. 
You want to be a husband that honors God? Say, I got to get involved with what my wife is. What's going on with her? How can I be considerate? How can I think about her needs? How can I think about what she wants? How can I think about how to exalt her, how to hold her, how to honor her, how to, how to help her see her beauty and worth in the Lord? How can I be considerate of her? He says, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And before anyone flips out on weaker partner, I know, trigger. Ask yourself if you want your husband to do the things that are commanded. <laughs> and don't get sidetracked on like a modern interpretation of that word, right? You hear weaker and you're like, oh, well, they don't think I'm as smart or they think I'm as good. No, 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 stop. it doesn't say that. Relax. That's how we would modern, that's how we would look at that word in a modern way. Let's keep it in first century Palestine, you know, context. Think about a, a, a Jewish woman in first century Palestine. Peter tells the husband to respect his wife because at that time she's in a position of weakness. Physically, socially, economically, she's in a place of weakness. Just to say, husbands, you make sure to cover that because you're in a stronger place. More specifically, I think we tend to jump to all sorts of ideas about weaker that weren't intended by Peter. We come with those ideas of like, oh, weaker means that she's not as smart, right? That, that's not what he's saying. Especially in light of the, so in English they've translated it weaker part, partner. It's literally like weaker vessel. And it seems to be talking about just physically. That, that she's actually physically not as strong as, as a man. And this is a, you say, well, that's just a feminist interpretation, Pastor Sam. You're one of those liberal guys, right? Not really. Uh, another Christian brother you might be familiar with, John Piper, says the same thing. John Piper says we're not talking about anything but a physical, the vessel is a physical part. So he's just saying, take care of her because she's, she's weaker. Apostle Peter seems to be saying exactly what Physical 100 on Netflix is saying. Right? It's saying the same thing as if Netflix has a show about like bodybuilders and like what's the perfect physique. And at the end, the women don't win. <laughs> Spoiler alert in case you haven't seen the end of that. The men are stronger. And so he's saying, men, since you're stronger, use that strength to guard your wife, to be careful, to be considerate, to respect her, to honor her, to point her to God because she's a co-heir with you in heaven. Uh, I think about all our families. Who's stronger, Brian Chan, Sarah Chan? Sorry, Sarah. Freddie, Leah. Sam, Hedgen. Charles, Sil. Right? Uh, going through them. Going, going. Jerry, Rena. Kevin. Debbie, you know, like, over, just think about all our relationships. So he's not saying something that we say, he's not saying what you're worried he's saying. He's not saying that. He's saying, husbands, watch out because she's weaker. If, if there's a bullet to take, you take it. That's it. You got more meat to take the bullet. You know, like, there weren't bullets at this time, but that's it. As the stronger person, take care of her. And if it's not strictly just only physically, it was certainly in the context, it's she's in a weaker position sort of economically in, in first century Palestine. 
So God commands husbands not to treat their wives poorly, to not physically push them around, but to protect and respect their co-heirness, to guard them in this new redefined marital respect. He says that she is a co-heir with you. There is an equality spiritually and eternally with you. From the first century perspective, man, that, that requires a radically redefined thinking from a husband to say, this woman, she's a co-heir. She is equal with me in all things eternal. Does it matter the temporary? No. What's the important part? That we appoint them to God. Husband says, husbands, you're, you're, you're equal. You're stronger. I get it. So since you're stronger, protect them, respect them, build them up because they're co-heirs with you for the eternal things. So guard them if they're in a weaker part. Bottom line, here's the ways God redefines husbands in this passage. He says, husbands, you've got to be considerate. Think all parts of their lives, how you can benefit and bless them. That sounds like submission to me. How can I take care of your needs? How can I take care of the things that, that you're hurting or, or worried about? How can I guard you in your areas of weakness? Husbands, treat your wife with respect. There is no weaker partner. That doesn't, that's not how respect works. <laughs> you misunderstood. So he in no way is ever talking about the things that you think are so negative sometimes in our culture. Now that, that your wives are heirs with you of all things, uh, know that your wives are heir, heirs with you in all things God and good. So ne- knowing Jesus redefines our relationships. Submit and respect seem to be the new hallmarks of, of godly relationships in all their forms. In, in their most, like, uh, their least personal form, the government, like, I don't have any emotional attachment to the government at all, right? I'm, Except I saw someone in the bumper sticker on the way in. They said, I love the Constitution. I was like, really? The Constitution's okay, but love it? <laughs> hey, Constitution. It's good. It's a nice Constitution. It's nice, you know? But even in, in, in a most, like, least attached sort of emotional relationship, submit and respect so that it points to God. And in our most intimate relationships, submit and respect so that it points the other person to God. Making God known to, to strangers, to enemies, but even to our most closest relationships. Look, living with and around people is difficult. I know I get so selfish. I give in to fear so often. But I would let, rather follow the Bible and live free. Like it says, once you live free... And I choose to submit, and like, ha, oh, I made you submit. <laughs> I chose it already. If I, if I kneel before you, there's no one who can force me on my knees because I've already chosen that. Free to follow God wholeheartedly and not worry about what people think. To be judged for my insides, my, my, my love for others. To live in a way that I point people to Jesus. Look, I'm so thankful that Jesus redefines all of my relationships. What a much better place to be in than when I define my relationships. Because before Jesus, it was just me and about me and what I want and what I get. And now it's about supporting, honoring, blessing others and pointing them to Jesus. Would you stand with me? And we're going to close our service in a praise song to God, the one who redefines us.